Say goodbye. Say goodbye to all your kids. Let them go. It's good to see all those kids here, though, isn't it? Coming and going, you know. Maybe more going than coming. I don't know, you know, whatever you think. But uh, it's good to see them here today, being a part of our worship. I'm going to begin, so Brian can put up the screen after this reading. Uh, I'm going to begin by reading Revelations chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, uh, maybe 1 through 7 to you uh, for a few moments this morning. Might be a familiar passage of scripture. Uh, We don't read Revelation a lot. Uh, Some people find it very difficult to read, hard to understand, a lot of interpretations. But this is pretty clear-cut this morning, I think, in what we're going to be sharing. So if you want to follow along with me in a Bible or iPad or your phone or whatever you might have today or on the screen, we'll share this. Uh, It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. So remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And then he goes on to share in verse 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. May God bless his word this morning. Well, I want to talk to you about something very special in your life. How many of you remember your first love? How many of you remember your first love? Do you? Oh, exciting days, wasn't it? I remember mine was probably third or fourth grade, pretty little girl, blondish, brown hair, dark brown eyes, very friendly. Uh, Every time she would come into the room, she would make me smile, but especially when she wagged her little tail and jumped up into my lap. I love that little dog. (laughs) Loved her. Lizzie, you thought I was talking about something else? No, you know. Lizzie was a good dog, did all the doggy type things, loved her, had her for probably a year and a half. And uh, but one day Lizzie wandered off our property, out of our fence somehow, gotten out, and she was hit by a car. And Lizzie was no more. So after much uh, tribulation and trial and tears, we just went out and bought another dog. (laughs) Cookie was her name. And she lived for about 18 years. Little Beagle. So cute little dog. Anyway, speaking of dogs, though, you know, I mean, actually, people really love their dogs, don't they? How many of you have a dog? How many of you dress up your dog? How many of you put it in a little carriage and push it around sometimes so it doesn't have to walk on its own? Please. Oh, my goodness. I know you don't want to admit it. 
We can have doggy wars right here. I know, I know. Cookie lived outside for 18 years in a little doghouse and did just fine. You know, she has fur on her, you know. She handled the cold just fine, and she lived for 18 long years. And, I mean, she was just great. Loved that little dog, too. But, uh, yeah, I don't want to go there with the dogs today, though, because, you know, that's, that's a whole nother area. Well, in the Bible here, uh, it talks about uh, they have forsaken. The church had forsaken its first love. But I want to tell you something about Ephesus first. Ephesus was a highly regarded city. Uh, it was a major port city. It was kind of the uh, highway into Rome, but it was also uh, the gateway to Asia. It was also known, though, for its strong pagan superstitious worship. The temple of, the temple of Artemis, one of the seven ancients of the world, uh, being the most prominent. But it also happens, if you read the scripture, and particularly you'll find it in Acts chapter 19, Paul spends much of his time in the city of Ephesus. It's where uh, Timothy uh, becomes the pastor. It's where you read about, I think, uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila in there. Uh, but today, today, if you were to search for that harbor city that was so prominent, you would not find it there anymore. It's desolate today. It's gone. And in fact, over in Ephesus, there's not much of a church at all over there. Uh, most of it now is, is probably about 95% Muslim. Uh, but, and there's no really Christian church over there today. It's just desolate. And it's not a harbor city anymore. It's basically just a, a sandy beachhead. Well, when the Spirit of God speaks to the church there, and it says those words, initially, in the beginning, it sounds like it's a pretty good church. It says they had good works, they were persevering, they were faithful to Christian doctrine, good dog, you know, kind of like good dog, faithful dog, good dog, you know. But somewhere along the way, something had happened. And they had wandered away from that which was essential to the Christian faith. They had wandered away from the very heart of the faith. And just like Lizzie, they were about to get hit with an uncompromising truth. They were just about to get smacked. And how they responded was going to determine their survival. So what happened? in spite of all the good theology and the good works and the fact that they didn't cuss, smoke, drink, or, or chew or have a pagan tattoo, something was wrong with this church. By the way, Muslims don't cuss, smoke, drink, or chew either or have pagan tattoos. And in fact, they pray about five times a day. They make a pilgrimage in their lifetime, most of them, to go to Mecca. And, and in fact, they do a lot of good works. It's by their good works that they believe that they will someday go to heaven or nirvana. Well, it's sometimes what we believe too. We believe that if we're just good enough or if we do enough 
good in this world, that that should be enough. And perhaps that's what was happening with the church at Ephesus. Because they were commended for their good works, for their good theology, and their perseverance. But something had happened. And something happens to all churches that we have to be careful of. It's easy to get so caught up in planning all the programs, the traditions of the church, and so many churchy-like things. I don't know. Is churchy a word? Is churchy a word? I don't know. How do you spell it? C-H-R-U-C-H-E-E-E-E-E-E-E. Churchy. We get caught up in a lot of churchy things that we forget the most important thing about our faith is our relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the most and primary important thing that we have as Christians, a relationship with Jesus, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and then to love others also. People go to their jobs today, and they don't care. They go to church, they sit down, they stand up, they sing a few songs, they pray and go away, but sometimes nothing, nothing really changes. They simply go to church, but they don't have a relationship. They don't have that. I've, I've met a lot of church people who don't know Jesus, that enjoy the social aspects of the church, who even do a lot of good things, who give their money at times to the church, who sing the songs and engage themselves even in activities of the church, but they walk home and they're no different than when they came to church in the first place, and they couldn't tell you the last time they had had an intimate time of prayer or a relationship with Jesus Christ. When I met my wife, Vicki, I was smitten in the mitten. Not in the middle of the mitten, like you guys live in, okay? But I was pretty well smitten. Uh, and I used to uh, write little poems to her, called her all the time, sent cards to her, sent a little bouquet of flowers, held hands with her, even in flu season, didn't mind, you know, didn't care if I got sick. Heck, you know, I didn't care. I just wanted to spend time with her, you know. And I'm imagining, you know, think about when you first met your spouse. How did you act towards them? Didn't you do all those little googly funny, weird things that you do. We had little pet names for each other, maybe still do. Hey, jerk, get over here. No, uh, no, that's not what I'm talking about, you know. But you did all those kind of little things. You went places. You did things that you probably, you know, had never thought about doing because you were just so in love. But you wanted to please them so badly, and you wanted to spend time with them. And these little cards you wrote sometimes, or little notes, or or the phone calls that you gave to each other, whatever you did, but then what happened? You got married, and you got over it. The problem is she never did, <laughs> you know? She never got over it. She's like, you know, what's that song Neil Diamond sings? Somebody knows it. You don't bring me. You don't. Sing me, uh, you hardly, 
you just come to the door at the end of the day. You don't bring me flowers anymore. I know, some of you think, what was that song? I can't even remember it, you know? It happens, doesn't it? After two moves, a few kids, a couple of extra pounds later, you know, not talking about the women, of course, this morning. We're still going through the motions. We're still married. But somehow, it's different. Maybe we've lost the passion. Maybe we've lost the zeal. We don't send the little cards or flowers anymore. We don't think we have to. Oh, she knows I love her, you know? Husband and wife, they're sitting at the table, and the wife asks her husband, do you love me? And he's, of course, reading the sports page, finding out how the Red Wings or the Tigers or the Spartans or somebody did, you know? And he doesn't look up, and he says, yes, I love you. And what does she say? No, do you love me? And he goes, oh, my gosh, look, I can't believe they played that player, you know, and then they lost the game and whatever. Yes, yes, I love you. And she says, no, do you love me? And he puts down the paper and he says, I've told you three times, yes, I love you. What more do you want? What does she want? She wants you to show her you love her. She wants you to stop and reach over and take her hand. She wants you to just give her a kiss. She wants you to get up and put your arms around her and just say, honey, I love you. You're the most special person in my life. That's what she wants. She doesn't want you to just say and mouth the words and go through the motions. She wants to see your love in action. In fact, that's what the Bible tells us. It tells us, let's just stop telling people that we love them and let's show them that we love them. And when Jesus speaks to the church, he says, you have forsaken your first love. No longer the passion, no longer the zeal, no more the intimacy or the excitement about when you first came to know me. Or you're going through the motions and everything looks good on the outside, but on the inside, something has died. Indeed, it happens in the life of the church. Our serving becomes half-hearted. Ministry is more of a job than a joy. We give reluctantly, not cheerfully or generously. We just give because we think we have to. We lose our passion for the lost, for their souls, for the people who don't know Jesus anymore. We are more critical than grateful. Church, church, I can take it or I can leave it. And most people do today. Since the 1960s, church attendance and the fellowship has been on the decline and continues to decline. No wonder, no wonder we hear about a sad statistic that 80% of churches, not just Church of God, but churches all across the nation, and you'll always find exceptions to the rule, are either plateaued or in decline. What has happened? What has happened to that vibrant faith, to that passion, to that zeal? Do you remember when you first came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you remember when the forgiveness of his grace and love washed over you and your sins were forgiven? Do you remember how excited you were to be around other Christians, to tell your story about what God had done for you? 
to read your Bible, to sing those songs and understand finally what they meant. And to be so, when Vicki and I are in Florida, we attend this church. It's called Living Waters. Living Waters is a non-denominational church. When we went there about a couple of years ago, they were just beginning to start another campus down in Naples, Florida. And that's up and running now. Well, when we were there a couple of weeks ago, they made an announcement that they were going to start a new campus up in Cape Coral. And they were so excited, and the people jumped up and shouted, and they clapped, amen, because they were growing, they're growing. If you look at their website, and this is highly unusual, and I can't quote it verbatim, but on their website, they have like three little squares and tells you kind of what their church is all about. The first one just, I mean, who would put this on their website? I don't know. But it says, when you come to worship, you will hear the bass in your chest from the music. And I'm not kidding. When we went to worship that morning, ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. It was like it was going right through you, you know. It was like you were at a concert. And I thought, okay, is this a good thing? Kaboom, kaboom, you know. It's like it's going right through you. The bass, they have this bass just filtering through your whole system, you know. But you know what? When they went to the second song and still, and they brought it down a little bit, they were worshiping so beautifully. They were so excited be in the house of the Lord. People were raising their hands. They were clapping. And during the second song, all of a sudden, you could just tell that the presence of the Lord was there and the Spirit of God was moving. And I just began to tear up with the words of this song that they were singing. And I couldn't stop tearing up throughout that entire song and into the next song. And it wasn't because they were trying to make it an emotional thing, but they were so excited in the house of the Lord. They were so excited to be lifting up the name of Jesus and worshiping him. They were so excited about what their church was doing and how it was moving forward into their community. They were the first church in their community when the hurricane Irma went through this last fall. They were the first church to respond to the needs in that community and all around. And they talked about that and what they had done. And they had raised over... In the last three years, they had set a goal of $100,000 to give to missions. And it was like an outlandish goal. That was like four or five years before. They said, we want to raise 100000 because we're going to be a community-minded. We're going to reach out with the love of Jesus Christ. We love him. We want other people to know about his love. We want to make a difference in people's lives. And they reached that goal three years later this year. They raised $700,000. Because people were so exciting how they were impacting their community. And the pastor stood up and he said, you know, we could be complacent, rest on our laurels and say this was a wonderful and great thing. How did we ever do this? He said, but now I'm holding out to you that over the next two years, we are going to raise $1 million for missions. And then he got up himself and talked about his own personal testimony. And he said, you know, we lead from the format of leadership. That leadership sets the standard. Whether it's in talking about the ministry here, whether it's about going out into our community and serving and loving others, whether it's about giving our testimony about what God has done in our lives, 
about worshiping and not just you guys worship, but even the pastors worship. And I mean, it was so exciting to be there that day. So exciting to hear that and all of their testimonies and all their praise. And you just went out of there and you thought, this is a church, as he said, gets it. You get it. It's about generous giving and living. It's about loving and having a relationship with Jesus Christ that you can't help but let it spill over into your life and out into the lives of others. And going out into this community and coming back each week and just celebrating what God is doing amongst us and then wanting to do more. And then now opening their third campus. And I thought, when I read these words, he says, you've done many great things. But you have forsaken your first love. And for each and every one of us, that's where it must begin. Is loving God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. Because if we don't, and if what we're not engaged in reflects that love, then nothing else matters. Because it comes right out of Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians when he says this in 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can move all mountains with my faith, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give everything I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Everything I do, everything I believe, Everything I say means absolutely nothing, not zilch, unless I am infilled with the love of God. Then nothing else matters. And this is what Jesus is saying to this church. He's saying, you're doing a lot of wonderful things, but you have forsaken your first love, and that is a relationship with me. And then he goes on to share something. And I'm going to ask Brian to put down this screen at this time. On the front of your bulletin, it says, if you looked at it, R2-D2. Somebody thought I was going to bring the little droid up here, you know, make all those little funny noises. But that's not what it's all about. And I'll explain this simply. The R is the two R's I'm just going to point out. The D are the two Ds I'm going to point out. So my little clever mind said, wow, that'd be creative. R2-D2, you know? You get it, right? The little droid will not appear here on the stage, okay? Jesus has a fix for this church. He says, remember. If you look back to the scripture that we just read, a few moments ago, he says, remember the height from which you have fallen. And I'm thinking, it sounds like a pretty good church. Good deeds, persevering, good theology. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that church? What's wrong with that church? That speaks to most of our churches in America, probably, that claim to be Christian. And yet, 80% of them are on the decline. People aren't coming. People aren't being saved. The love of Christ is not being shared. People aren't finding anything within the life of that church that excites them or they're passionate about. 
or that stirs their soul. What's happening? He says, remember the height from which you have fallen. They have fallen. That's not a good thing. He says, in all of the good things you've done, you've fallen down. You have failed in some area of your church. And he says, remember how it once was when you first came to know Christ. Remember the height from which you were falling, and memory can be the first step back. Now, I know some of us, we don't have a very good memory anymore, you know. But he says, remember. Remember in the beginning. Remember how it was when you were so excited, so passionate, so willing to serve, so loving, so compassionate, so sharing of your faith, so singing the songs with gusto. Remember that? Remember when your love and your passion and your zeal for Christ was nothing was going to hold you back? You were going to win the world? You were going to tell everybody? Your family, your friends? You wanted to invite them to church? Remember, he says, the height from which you have fallen. And then he says, repent. There's that word again. Repent. It's recognizing that something's not right. Something's wrong, has gone wrong, and I need to take personal responsibility to make a change. Something's not right. I don't have that passion. I don't have that zeal. I don't have that excitement. I'm just going through the motions. I have become complacent. Let other people do it. Why should I do it? Let other people give. I only have so much. Let other people serve. I'm too busy. Something's not right. And Lord, I need to repent and say I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. And it begins with me. It begins with me personally. Saying, Lord, I'm the only one that can change this by allowing you to change me. And then he goes on to say this. Do something now. Do something. Just do it. Do something about it. Send your wife a card. Buy her flowers. Take her out to lunch today. Take me with you, and that way I'll testify to it next week. Okay? No, I can't go today. I'm sorry. But do something about it. Just don't recognize and bemoan the fact and say, yeah, we've fallen, we're not as passionate, not as giving, not as loving, you know, we're kind of dying out, you know, we're a little more complacent. You know, and I'll tell you something, the truth, folks, I served in Clio for a lot of years, and I was so excited, so excited about the ministry there. But over the years, I recognized, I went to the state office, and my last about four or five years at Clio, I said, you know, Bill, Bill, our state pastor, I said, Bill, it's not that I can't continue on here. It's not that I don't love these people and they don't love me. I said, but they need a change. They need a new voice to come into their life, to speak to them. And I need a change in my life. I need something that stirs my soul and my passion and my zeal again. I said, you know, I don't want to just go through the motions. And I said, they need a change too. And that's when we made the decision that we would make that transitional time over the next few years and somebody young would come in. 
with all the excitement and zeal and things that, you know, and the gifts that I didn't have. And I said, you know, they need that to give them a kickstart again. And I need something in my life, too, to be passionate about again, to stir my zeal. And so that's how that came about. But we need to be honest that sometimes that happens in our life. Sometimes in our marriages, in our relationships, it's just easy to go with the flow, to drift right along, to become complacent. Instead of saying, you know what, honey? Pack the car. We're going on a trip. What? I don't know what we're going to do, where we're going to go. Pack it up. It's going to be an adventure. I don't know what lies ahead. But, you know, and I thought about my own life. When I remembered, after Vicki and I got married, we sold everything we had. Everything we had. Everything. Didn't keep a thing except some clothing. And we went to Europe. And I had a good friend who was international director of Young Life. And I said, Marv and I are going to take kind of an extended honeymoon. Going to go over to Europe. But we want to do it with a plan and a purpose. And he said, well, I know about a small home church in Casa Paloca, right outside of Rome, Italy. And he said, I know uh, the couple that is out there. Let me contact them. He contacted them. They contacted us and said, hey, if you guys want to come over and do a youth ministry for us for the summer, that would be great. We packed our bags, not knowing where Casa Paloca was, just outside of Rome, and we sold everything that we had, and we flew over there. And we spent a glorious two and a half months with them. It was so exciting. And it was kind of like, what happened to those days? when you just almost threw caution to the wind and you just trusted God and believed him for great and wonderful things, whether it was financially, whether it was for a trip, whether it was just stepping out in faith and saying, you know, God, I don't know where all this is going, but I'm just going to trust you and believe you. And I want to feel that excitement and that zeal and that passion that I did at the very beginning when all I did was saying, Jesus is enough, and whatever he says, wherever he leads, wherever he goes, I'm going with you. It was so exciting. But then, as the years passed by, well, I don't know if we got enough money. Well, I don't know. It could be dangerous over there. Oh, I don't know. You know. And we become complacent. We become comfortable. And we go through the motions in our relationships and even in the life of the church, and God says, you have forsaken your first love. Just love me with all your heart, soul, and mind and look and wonder at the great and beautiful things that I'm going to do through your lives and through the life of your church. And if you just trust me, we're going to do some wonderful things in this community together. God will do that. God will do that. If you allow him to just love through you. Well, remember how it once was. Repent. Something's not right, and I've got to take some personal responsibility to change it. And then do something about it, because when you do, then I believe that devotion, and that's the final D, will be stirred within you again. First and foremost, for God and all that he has for you as an individual, in your relationship as husband and wife, with your children, and what he's going to do through this church. Let him stir up that zeal, that passion, and that desire once again. Don't just find yourself going through the motions. God has an exciting plan for each and every one of us 
He just wants us on board. The heart of our faith, the heart of our service, the heart of our worship begins simply with a passion once again for Jesus Christ and the things that God holds out for each and every one of us. I pray, I pray that he will become your first love again. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, yeah, we can look around and think, yeah, things are pretty good. They're all right, but Father, we just don't want them to be pretty good. We don't want them just to be all right. We want them to be full of passion and zeal and excitement. We want to explore in faith and walk hand in hand together with you to see what all that you hold out for us, Father. And so, Father, we ask that first and foremost, we would remember that from which we have fallen away from. We would repent. We would just simply say, I'm sorry, Lord. Renew the zeal and the passion within me. Not only for my family, let them see it, but for this church body, Father. Let them know it. Let us rise up together to do a great work for the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, Father. Renew within each one of us a passion and a desire to love you wholeheartedly with all of our soul, our strength, and our might. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.